Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Hold on a second. This is going to drive me crazy. I made a mistake. So I've got to put this up here. A couple of things to let you guys know. Um, We're going to be here again Wednesday night at 7 p.m. So if you want to join us here for take two, we'll be here at 7 on Wednesday, uh, live as well on YouTube. Also, uh, to let you guys know, this week we'd like to take food to uh, the hospital, but I don't know if we can do it this week. Um, I'm kind of booked this week with some training and stuff. If you are available to get meals to the hospital, um, it would be at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Let me know. Hit me up and say, yes, I would be available. Let me know what days, and maybe we can work it out this week. If not, maybe next week we'll be doing the meals. But it would be great to have someone else be a part of that. All you really have to do is, uh, actually, the 11 a.m., they bring it, and we're just there to oversee it um, at the hospital. And at the 8 p.m., we actually go pick it up at Hitch Burger and Grill and take it to the hospital. And it's usually 35 meals each time. So you have to be able to put, you know, they have them in boxes, but you have to be able to put a couple of boxes in your car. If you are able and would like to help out, please let me know, and I will be in touch with you and with uh, Chris and his wife to uh, let them know when we can do that. So throw that out to you. And now i got to write this the right way because this is detect, not discern. Okay. Good morning. I've been looking at that while I'm sitting there. I said, no, that's wrong. I got to. Well, if you aren't here and you don't know, we are meeting live. We've got a couple of canopies outside, and hopefully you guys are able to come and join us. We're kind of fine-tuning things as we move along, but we got a pretty sweet setup out there. Um, so, I think it'll be something that can accommodate us for a little while, and hopefully you guys can join in and just see everyone and still be safe and distance. Um, This morning, I'm continuing our series on desire, and I'm going to be talking about digging a little bit deeper this morning. And this morning, I want to talk to you about sand crabs being hangry, sunburn, hand sanitizer, and the delivery room, right? What is the goal of the Christian life? What's the purpose? 
Is it about what we know? Is it about what we do? Remember, we've been talking about that kind of here with the words and works and it being kind of what we see, but there's more happening underneath that and who we actually are. But I would submit to you that really the goal of this life of following Christ is about learning to live in love. If God is love, it's learning to live in that love that God has, which we have called grace and truth. And that's kind of how Jesus has represented it to it, right? And it's something that is relational. Remember, grace is not just a forgiving of wrongdoing. It's a partnering in life through the things that we do. And if love is this grace and truth quadrant that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, then it's the goal and the grounding of the Christian life, the goal because salvation is becoming one with God. It's divine union. Now think about that. I don't know maybe what you have in your mind when you hear the idea of salvation and maybe it's, oh, I'm not going to hell or I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But that is so much less than what we see in scripture that it really is not what Jesus talks about in John 17 when he says, Father, that they might be one even as you and I are one, that they too would be one in us. That divine union is really part of this goal of our life in Christ. And so we're looking at how that can take place. Because if there's going to be a divine union between us and God, if this Christian life is learning to live in the love with God, remember it has to be dealing with all of who we are, that God, first of all, is always at work. God is doing more than we could ever do. And God can only do something in the real you, the real me. And so we're stepping into that a little bit more deeply or trying to at least, right? I want to dig into this a little bit more. And up here, what I have, you can see it's a little bit expanded. This is now the wheel of transformation, right? I'm going to spin it and you can buy a vowel and we'll, we'll go from there. And I'm using the word transformation instead of discipleship because that really is what discipleship is about. It's about transforming our life. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm continually being transformed from my image and more into his image where they join together. And, and that's something that we want to do. We're, we're going to get to more of who we are so that we can give more of who we are to Christ and be changed from the inside. You know, when we go to the beach, when the kids were small, we used to go and dig for sand crabs, right? And the, the, Tide would come up and that's where they live because they get their nutrients. I don't know what they eat. There's nothing but sand and water there, but I guess there's something else there. But you would see the bubbles and I would always tell the kids where you see the bubbles, that's where you dig because that's where they're digging to get back down and that's where you can dig them up. But you have to go down and you have to dig deeper to get to the sand crab, and we have to dig deeper into this idea of our desires and who we are to, to see transformation take place within us. 
I, I think it's so interesting how Jesus leans into these things. Remember when he saw Nathaniel for the first time and he looked at him and he said, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, there is no guile. The, the message translation, it says something like, hey, there's not a false bone in him. What a thing to say to somebody. To be able to say, hey, there's someone who is true. He's not double-minded. There's no deceit in him. He's not playing one thing and living another. What you see is what you get in him. And that's what we want to be. We want to be like Nathaniel. Well, there's not a false bone in our body. And we are used to living above the surface in this awareness, right? And out here, you see that there's these three segments. And we live in an awareness and active. This is what we are aware of. This is what we do. But then there's the alignment where we're trying to get all these things together. And I want to start, first of all, with a story about my grandson, Judah, Friday, I went to pick him up from school. It's preschool. And it was about 5.30. I went there to pick him up, and it was a kind of a, a cloudy and cold day. I picked him once before, and we walked home because the school is real close to our house. And this time I picked him up and, and got him in the car, and he says, I'm glad you brought the car, Grandpa, because it's too cold to walk, right? Hey, Doug. Uh, and, and so we got in the car, and we started driving, and we get to the house, and I'm playing his favorite song because just, you know, that's what grandpas do. It's a song called Monster. Anyway, we get to the house, and Corrine had been working all day, and she hadn't yet got his chicken nuggets in the oven. And so we got there, and he's like, where's my food? I said, well, grandma's getting it. And he goes, I want McDonald's now. And... He started talking to Crane. Well, he didn't really start talking to her. He started yelling at her, right? He just started letting her have it because his nuggets weren't done. And he wanted now to go to McDonald's and he wants to go to McDonald's now. And he has, you know, all, I don't know, three foot of him. He's got the sternest face and the angriest face. And he's just like a monster yelling at her. And I hear him just doing this and I'm just thinking, oh man. And there is this idea here that I'm aware that Judah is acting like a, a, a snotty brat, right? He, he's acting like a, a, just a monster right now. And I have this tendency or I've had this tendency to, hey, you can't talk to your grandma that way. You need to stop it right now. But what I start to do instead to say, what's going on, buddy? Did, how was school today? Did you eat anything at school? No, because he's a picky eater, right? He eats French fries, he eats chicken nuggets, he eats quesadillas, and that's about it, right? And, every, and then he'll eat donuts too. And so I go, you didn't eat anything to do? And he goes, no, I didn't eat anything. I want to go to McDonald's now. So I... I I'm seeing his anger. I dig a little deeper. I find out he didn't eat anything. And so I go to this place where I say, you know what? This kid's hangry. He's just hangry. I go, come on, buddy. Let's get in the car. We'll go to McDonald's. It'll take just as long to go there as it will to get the nuggets, but it'll at least pacify him, right? And so 
by just instead of trying to get to, hey, this is how you need to behave, I find out what's going on. The poor kid's hungry because he hasn't eaten. He doesn't know how to deal with it. He's just feeling it, and it's coming out of him. And so what I start to do here is just to declare to him, you know, this is what's happening. We're going to get you some food. You'll be able to eat. That's what we do. We get to McDonald's. He gets his Happy Meal. He gets his chicken nuggets, fries, apple juice, and a toy. And then afterwards, I talk to him. I go, you know why you were so upset? It's because you didn't eat anything today. We have a little debrief, right? This is kind of a little living example of what's happening here. Just to give you a picture, we're going to dive into it a little bit more and look at some areas where Jesus shows this, because this is what Jesus does with us. But having this awareness is important. Being aware where something is happening, we're detecting it. It's something that starts to, when you start looking for it, you start seeing it more and more. It's like having a sunburn, right? And your skin is just sensitive. And so you feel a chill when there's a breeze and the sun, when it does hit your skin, it feels even hotter because you are just in this place where your nerve endings are raw and you just feel it. Where we can be to a place where we are sensitive to the things that are happening, these kairos moments that show up. And we've been looking at how to detect these things in our emotions, not ignoring them, not squashing them, not just blindly giving into them, but first detecting them, right? And I've named some of these even that I've experienced when I hear a song and it moves me to tears, right? Or a resistance that I had uh, going to put flowers on my mom's grave or even, you know, how anxious I've been in trying to get us to actually meet again, Going through that and the anxiety that I've had, just knowing, hey, we're going to start meeting again on Sundays, or sometimes just maybe you daydream about something. Oh, man, I want to start a business. Oh, I want to write a book. Oh, I'd like to do something. And it's on your mind all the time. These are kairoses. These are things that you detect. Something is going on. These are things that we want to be sensitive to. These moments where something is taking place within us. And the idea of digging is compassionate curiosity. Because remember, this is all taking place in this grace and truth. And I say compassionate curiosity because if we don't have compassion in the looking, we are going to taint what's happening, right? If I didn't dig into what was going on with Judah with compassion, it could have went south really quick. Because he was volatile, right? I mean, he's throwing things. He, he's just losing it. And so I have to go into this with this compassionate curiosity. As I mentioned, sometimes when we detect a Kairos moment, we jump right into fix-it mode. I'm, I'm sensing this, hey, you need to act this way. Stop it. Instead of trying to find out what was going on, trying to solve what we think the problem is and, and trying to fix it. But instead of turning right to fix it, let's turn left here and go down a little bit deeper and discover what's really going on. There's something happening that we need to detect and find out about. And the way we dig is important. We dig with that compassionate 
curiosity rather than condemnation. We embrace the reality as the place where God meets us. So instead of beating ourselves up or just trying to fix the problem, we simply choose to ask compassionately curious questions about that kairos. And so why am I moved by this song or or what's coming to my mind when I hear this song? Oh, I'm thinking about this person. What emotions am I feeling right now as I, I think about my mom and why am I running away from them? Where is this anxiety coming from about meeting again on Sunday mornings? Why am I feeling this tension within me when that thought comes about, okay, we're going to start gathering together? Or what is it about writing a book or doing something new that brings excitement, makes me feel alive, makes me feel like adrenaline, like I don't mind getting up early to do that? but to get up early to do other things is difficult. I have no energy. Why is there the change? And what we're trying to do is align the practices so that they are aware and they start to integrate into our lives. And that first part, the discerning and the declaring, or the detecting and declaring from this place of awareness, we begin to discover our desires which is where we need to see the alignment take place, right? The two practices of alignment are discerning what's happening. Discerning, sometimes it's the bad news. That is the lies that I've believed about reality or the story I'm telling myself that is doing bad work in my life. Judah acting this way, yelling, throwing things, there's a story behind that. What, what's happening in that bad news that I can understand it? As we dive into what we really want, we begin to discern that there is bad news sometimes at work within us. Bad news means a, a lie that we have believed, right? We are always living out our actual beliefs. So when you're going through something and you're feeling anxious, you're feeling depressed, you're living out what you believe. It's showing up. It's not just what we think. This is what I believe. No, you're feeling this way. So what you really believe is showing up in your body and in the actions that you're having. We are always living in that way. So we learn to discern the lies we've believed in our pursuit of our desires. For example... I move to tears because this song reminds me of a person who I feel helpless trying to reach. And their situation moves me to tears and I feel there's nothing I can do about it. And that's why the emotion comes. Or I'm resistant to going to my mom's graveside because... We've yet to put a grave marker there. And now I feel like I've failed her by not doing that. And so it shows up in my emotion and resistance. See, this is the story I'm telling myself. This is the bad news that I'm hearing. 
right? I, I've never pastored people through a pandemic before. And I don't want to make a bad decision that could be detrimental to people. And I know I'm not going to please everybody. So whatever decision I make, I'm going to get some people probably upset. And you know what? I'm getting kind of comfortable in how things are. And I don't really want to have to step into setting more things up and doing more things. And so part of me is just a little lazy. Part of me is a little fearful. And maybe that's where the anxiety is coming from. You see, discerning these bad news kind of things, looking at the things, the stories that I'm telling myself helps me to understand what's going on within me that often live underneath that waterline of awareness. You see, you don't know these things until I just shared them with you, and now they're on the table. And we all have these things. We all go through these things, and we all bury these things. And this is part of what God is wanting to bring about because the idea of declaring is we're declaring good news to those things. After we've discerned the specific bad news of the story, the answer isn't try harder, behave differently, right? This isn't some Jordan Peterson, Dave Ramsey, self-help motivation. That's not gospel, just need to do more. You need to do better. No, what we're doing, the remedy for bad news isn't feel sorry and try harder. The remedy for bad news is good news. And we declare the good news that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, right? In Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel that we are to repent and believe? It is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The good news is that God is near. God is at work. God is doing something that God cares. And so what I have to do is see this area of discernment and declare the good news in these areas that I'm having, that this person who I can't reach, this person who is hurting, this person who I feel so unable to do anything good for, God can do more. And the kingdom of God is present there. See, the the guilt that I feel for not doing what I should have done or feel that I should have done at my mom's gravesite, I'm not getting condemnation from Jesus. The kingdom of God shows up there. I'm declaring good news to me that there is no condemnation in Christ, right? This is good news, specifically, contextually, personally, we proclaim Reality according to God into this specific bad news story that I'm going through, the situation. This isn't a a general abstract truth about God. It's more like a word from God to us that we learn to receive, right? So it's less like, well, I know God loves me and more like, neither do I condemn you. Do you see the difference? Oh, God loves me. Yeah, that's easy to say, but God does not condemn me. 
It's less like God's good all the time and more like stretch out your hand and be healed. This is gospel-based transformation that we practice. And we must declare a specific word of good news before we know how to react. And then we move into the action and practices, the things that we do and debrief, right? We align our desires towards this kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel in our lives, and then we take action. The two practices are to do something and then to share that something with people. Because do is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus used all these words to tell his hearers that if they only listen, but they don't do, then they're not building on a solid foundation. But we're not just going from, oh, something's wrong, I need to do it. We're doing something's wrong, what's going on? I see what the problem is. Here's good news to that problem. I am now going to live a life in response to the good news and share that life with others. It's a whole different way of living into this instead of the try and shortcut. You see, it's a lot easier to do this because I can pretend really well. But having to go here, I have to deal with the tantrum. I have to deal with the guilt. I have to deal with the fear. I have to deal with the reality. And I get to preach good news to that and move into place for healing. And these don't always work in a linear way. They're not always, this happens and this happens, this happens. You know, a lot of times when you're learning music, you learn scales because it just develops dexterity. And so you start doing that. But life doesn't happen in scales. And Jesus didn't do this in scales. Jesus did this in jazz, right? I mean, if you've got a good jazz musician, those those guys can do just about anything. I remember seeing Charlie Bird and Barney Kessel and someone else playing, and I was just like, oh my gosh, these guys are just winging it all the time, and it's always amazing. It's like, how do they do that, right? It's just incredible. Jesus is playing jazz with this idea of transformation in our lives, and I want to look at that in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. I detect something's going on. It's the Sabbath. They're wanting to accuse Jesus. Let's see what's going on here. Verse three, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. 
Whenever Jesus gets angry, we better take notice. Okay, we we see in this story, we detect something's going on. They're wanting to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. They're waiting for an opportunity to accuse him. And so we start seeing that their motives here really are one to try and take away from Jesus and bring to themselves. Jesus sees that, he gets angry, and he's grieved at the hardness of their heart. The bad news is that their heart is closed to what God is wanting to do. It is locked into staying above the waterline, and this is how God is, and this is what God does. And we'll figure this out and we'll live safely in this. And now Jesus is dealing with things in a whole different way. And they don't like it because it makes them uncomfortable. And their hearts are closed to what God is doing because it doesn't fit into how they are living. And the good news is that the kingdom of God shows up to a man who has this withered hand and he says, stretch out your hand. He declares the good news to him. Right here, the kingdom of God is showing up. I'm going to show it to you in this man's healing. The man is healed. That's what Jesus does. And we are talking about it to this day. This is how Jesus works. He he gets to the heart of the matter. He deals with things in this way. He doesn't just let it go. He's dealing with it with them and he's revealing it to us. Another passage in Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. The cleansing of the temple. You know, when I was looking at these areas of Jesus being passionate, I was looking for areas where Jesus was angry. And so I I mentioned the first one in Mark, but you know, this is one of the situations that shows up in all four of the gospels, which is unusual in itself. But in none of them does it say that Jesus was angry. It doesn't say he was angry. We put that on there. He must have been angry to overthrow the tables. But in John's gospel, chapter two, it says that he was making a whip out of cords, which means there was some premeditative thought going into that. And I mean, he wasn't just like, oh, this is so upsetting. No, he was sitting there and he's making a cord and I could just see him, you know, talking. Hey, Peter, how's it going? Hey, what are we going to get for lunch while he's making a cord? I don't know. How about falafels? We have falafels all the time, you know. Why don't we do something else, you know? Let's get some, you know. Ah, they haven't invented tortillas here yet. So I don't know, you know, I mean, I can see him thinking about this, not just reacting. He is intentional about what he's doing, and then he's teaching. 
So we put anger on this because it seems like something you would do in anger, but we really don't see that that's what's happening. But when we start to dig deeper, we find out that this selling was taking place in the outer court of the temple, which is where the Gentiles were supposed to come to worship. So the place of their worship is now being a marketplace. And we also know from Josephus and other writers that they would gouge the people for the merchandise. Do you guys remember when the pandemic started and you couldn't buy hand sanitizer and you'd go on Amazon to look for it and it'd be like two small bottles for 25 bucks? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on, people? And it's like, so really, you're going to use this situation to, to make a few dollars and imagine that now happening at the place of worship and the place where the Gentiles are supposed to come in and worship is being occupied by people making money instead. And so we start to see a little bit deeper what's going on as we, we dig into what Jesus is doing here. And we discern the bad news is they're not really concerned about connecting people to God. The bad news is that they are using this to make money for themselves and they're putting a roadblock between those who they really don't want in the temple in the first place. And Jesus declares the good news that this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And I'm here making it that way. And he wouldn't let anyone walk through the temple. I just wondered what that looked like. Hey, hey, get And he had a whip, right? And then he starts teaching. And they are afraid, the Pharisees, because of what's going on and how people are amazed by him. Jesus is declaring the kingdom is now here and this is not going to stop God from reaching the world. He's bringing the kingdom to everyone and he's doing it through me. Declaring the good news. The kingdom is here. When I was thinking about good news, I was thinking about all the times that I have been in the delivery room or waiting outside a delivery room. I remember when each of my children were born. I, I can remember, of course, the, the event of birth itself, but I remember after the twins were born, going outside and seeing my family and seeing my mom, seeing my aunt, seeing friends of ours there and crying with them because had a child. I remember being outside the delivery room when Judah was born and when Milo was born and crying with my boys as now they are having children, being on the other side of that delivery room. And the good news that life is here. You see, we're declaring the kingdom of God is here and life is here. I heard a podcast this week about a man, his name is Lenny. He's a Lutheran pastor. And he was telling his story how when he was a young kid at 13, he actually 
ran away from home because it was safer for him out on the streets than it was in his home that was very abusive. And the parents were drug addicts and using and selling drugs. And so he was involved with drugs and drinking from the start. And at a young age, he met a girl whose name was Bree. And she was, I think, 16 at the time. He ended up going out with her. He ended up getting her pregnant. And her, she was from a church, and so her parents took her in, and, and she was delivering the baby. And while she was delivering the baby, he was in jail because he was arrested for drinking and other things. And he had been separated her from her for a time because of where he was. And he found out that he had a daughter when he was in jail, and that his daughter's name was Gemma. He didn't get to name the daughter, but that's what the daughter's name is. And he got a card from his mom saying, hey, you have a daughter. This is her name. He got out of jail, and he ended up getting together with Bree, the baby's mom, and trying to work things out. And they ended up moving into the house or apartment with his mom. And he was still using, he was selling drugs to buy diapers and things, but trying to make it work. And he had a friend who lived in Colorado and he told her, he goes, look, I'm gonna go to Colorado. I'm gonna see if I can get some work there and then I'll bring you guys out here after I get some work. He went out to Colorado on a Greyhound bus, got there and was drinking, was partying. And some guy said, hey man, you wanna do some speed? And he said, hell yeah, let's do some speed. And he didn't see his daughter for 13 years. And in that time, he finally came to the place where he says, I need to get sober. And so he started going through the steps program to try and get sober. And on the ninth of the 12 steps, it is to reconcile with people that you've hurt. And he's got a couple here, a daughter who he doesn't know. And the woman who's the baby's mom he hurt. And so he writes on his cards, you know, the things that he has to say to them and he spells them all out and he finally gets the nerve and he calls up the mom and he says, hey, I I need to get this out. I've hurt you. I've, you know, I've probably destroyed your trust for people. I was the first person you actually loved. I got you pregnant and then I left. And he wrote all these things out and he asked her, is there anything I've missed? And she goes, no, I think you covered it. And he says, well, what, is there anything I can do to make things better? And she goes, just call me once a month so I know you're alive. And so he started to. Once a month, he'd call, check in on her. Then he started calling more frequently every week. And then finally, she says, would you like to meet your daughter? And he said, yeah, I would. She's at 13 years old now. He goes and he meets her and he says, she's just spitfire. She's like him in so many ways. She's got so much personality. He goes, I feel like we're so much alike. It's the weirdest thing. And he starts seeing the mom again. He starts seeing Bree and pretty soon they start dating. And pretty soon he starts taking care of his daughter and starts befriending her. And he's right now, he's like, that's fine. I just, I'm cool with just being her friend. I'm I don't expect to be anything more. But then he and his mom, the mom, Bree, they end up getting back together and they end up getting married. And about a year and a half into the marriage, 
the daughter is 16 years old and he catches her doing something that she shouldn't be doing and he calls her on it. And she gets in his face and just lets him have it. She screams at him, you have ruined my life. Because of you, I don't have a family. Because of you, I don't know what it is to be wanted. Because of you, I don't know how to love. Because of you, everything that could have been something good has been taken away and has been destroyed. You have ruined my life. And after she just blasts him, he goes outside and he calls his friend and they just weep tears of joy. And he said it was tears of joy because he finally saw that she didn't have to tiptoe around him, worried about if he would leave or not. Worried if I say the wrong thing, he might abandon us again. Worried about if I say the right things, it might hurt the relationship between him and his mom. He finally felt like for the first time, I was actually her father because she knew I wasn't going anywhere. You see, the good news didn't show up until the bad news came to the surface. But that's where the good news shines. And all the things that we do, some of y'all got to really be honest with God here, right? Some of us have just been worried about, hey, I just need to keep things. We got some things to talk about, God. We got to let some things out that we're feeling. Maybe there's some hurts. Maybe there's some betrayal. Maybe there's some questions that we have. I saw on Instagram, a friend of mine was reading something in the Bible and she goes, I don't know what this is about, but I don't know why God had to kill all these people. I have some questions here. I hope you have some questions. I hope there's some things going on that you have to deal with because that's life and that's where God wants to meet you. There is bad news in all of our lives. Can I get a witness, right? Can I, I, can I hear the, the depths of your groaning from my own life? The things that I feel, the struggles I have, the anxieties just to try and meet here on a Sunday and feel like, okay, I've got to be responsible for getting people together and being safe. And you know what? It's getting real comfortable not meeting. And that's just the bad news that I'm feeling. And the good news is God is with me through this. And I need to do this for my own growth. And I need to see God's presence here. And I need to lean into it instead of pretending that it's not there. The good news is that even in the bad news, when she's yelling at him, you've ruined my life. It is the beginning of the proclamation that she finally trusts that I'm not going to leave. And I am her father. And then there's, of course, work to do and the life that we have to live together. If we do not dig, the good news of the kingdom of God will not show up in our lives. We'll play patty cake with God up here. 
We'll have emotional moments. We'll be moved to tears by songs. We'll hear stories. We'll, 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 all these things are good. They're not bad in themselves. But if you don't dig into your life and get to the things that you desire, the things that you want, the things that hurt, the good news isn't reaching you. We want it to reach us because that's where transformation takes place. Right? That's what discipleship is. It's taking all these things, the awareness, aligning what we are aware of with who we are, and then changing how we live. Let's lean into this and allow God to change us fully. Let's pray. Lord, I think there are a lot of things that we have been tiptoeing around with you, afraid to speak our minds, afraid to speak our hearts, afraid to even explore what's happening within us for fear that maybe you would no longer love us, that you would judge us, for fear that people would judge us and not accept us. And so what we do is we live shallow lives behind masks that pretend instead of lives that feel and get angry and weep. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves and with you, that we would take the effort to detect those moments where something is uneasy, something is overwhelming, something is joyful or sad. We would detect those moments as a kairos, an opportunity for you to engage with us. And we would, from that place, go in deeper, Lord, Ask questions. Why? What's going on? What's behind this? And to explore with you, Lord, whatever that news is that's being revealed, whatever things come up to maybe even our shame, so that you can speak good news to us there. That's gospel. Not us living better, not us just trying harder. Gospel is your good news meeting us in our true selves. Lord, this is work, and I pray, even if it's new work for us, that it is work that is so worth the effort. God, we want transformation. May we allow it to take place by digging into the depths of who we are. I pray this, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to ask for some help from you guys. 
If you're able to on Sunday mornings to help set up and tear down, if you're able to do that. Again, if you would like to help with the delivery of food, uh, we have a 11 a.m. and an 8 p.m. delivery for the hospital. If you are able to do that, get a hold of me. You can, most of you have my phone number. If you need to email us, you can, and I'll get in touch with you that way. But we could use your help in some of these areas as we are transitioning and starting to meet again here on Sundays, but having to set up a place outside while we're still setting up inside to be able to do this, and so we'd appreciate that. And may you know that you are loved, and may the good news of Christ find you where you are. May the places of hurt be healed with the kingdom that shows up where you really are. We love you guys. We miss you. God bless. Have a great week and hope to see you Wednesday. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.